Welcome to the Life-Changing Fitness Podcast. All we do is change lives. What up guys, Dan Wheeler here. I hope you are all well. So, um, this 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 uh, episode, this podcast is, uh, is titled The New Government Fat Guidelines. And I'm going to come on to that very shortly. It's a bit of a rant, a um, bit of education as well, obviously. And uh, we're also going to touch on a bit of an Ask Wheeler. Now, I posted an Ask Wheeler this morning asking for questions on my Facebook, um, which is uh, forward slash Life Changing Fitness, and um, a few, uh, and also on my Twitter at Dan Wheeler. And uh, got, a, got a few questions uh, already, but there's one main question which I'm going to answer, uh, which is going to take a long time because um, uh, it's a really, really great question. And that's from a guy called Matt Sugden. I think that's pronounced his name. So I'll come to that question uh, later. Uh, but for now, I want to focus on the new government fat guidelines, which has come out this week. So if you haven't read the news this week, or haven't seen TV or the radio, you won't have uh, been exposed to the fact that new studies, new groundbreaking research, as they are calling it, and I quote, groundbreaking research, um, has highlighted that the 1980s fat guidelines that the NHS and the government um, so rigorously um, uh, promoted, um, stating that you know saturated fats and fats uh, should be kept in uh, very low quantities because they were bad for our health and they caused increased risk of heart disease, blood pressure. Um, and there was also a link to heart attacks from from high fat diets. And uh, and and now and now the new, a new groundbreaking study has highlighted that though, that study may in fact be false. And uh, amazingly, um, I, I'm just trying to find the quote in front of me now. That the uh, yeah here we go. So here's here's a quote from this article. It's on the NHS website. So. Uh, I'd like to think it's from a, a, an authority of some kind. You know, it's our NHS after all. And there's two paragraphs here. The, it starts off, butter isn't bad for you. After, sorry, let me start again. Butter isn't bad for you after all. Major studies says 80s evidence on diet uh, on dairy fat was flawed. Uh, is the headline in the front of the Daily Mail as a new study urges. Dietary fat guidelines introduced in the 1980s lack of rigorous evidence based. The study in question looked at the guideline advice on saturated fat published in 1983 in the UK and in 1977 in the US. The researchers wanted to see if the evidence to see if the evidence was available at the time. Specifically, the results of randomized controlled trials supported the recommendations made. Um, and then it goes on to say that essentially that study was based on zero scientific fact. There were no no um, tests or case studies or research done because uh, I I'm I, I'm constantly I I hate the idea of conspiracy theories. I'm a really really not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm not a freak. Uh, in that instance, um, I'm very much scientific fact kind of guy. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in ghosts. All they, you know, a modern day man should 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 base these things on just facts. Um, I'm big into my astronomy. Uh, sorry, astro- <laughs> astrology. Um, in, 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 into uh, space science and uh, and uh, the theory of evolution and things like this. And uh, so. When 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 I when conspiracy theories pop into my head, I instantly dismiss them, thinking you know there must be a, like like Roswell for example. You know there there are no proof of aliens. Um, we have no proof. Uh, however, the theory of aliens being in existence is, to be fair, unquestionable. You know the universe is just so gigantically huge. The odds of a star having a planet. In the same distance as ours, of the same similar size, uh, and therefore in the what they call the um, the livable zone in the in, in, in an orbit around a star, um, it is almost guaranteed. It's just you know kind of what 
at what level that um, that life has evolved on that planet, whether it's still microorganisms or uh, whether it's actually intelligent or some kind, and whether or not then that has uh, developed into you know some form of life which can travel by spacecraft or whatever to travel planets. You know that's when science fiction comes into account. But I do have one one conspiracy theory, and that is. It is in the government's best interest for the nation to be fat and to be unhealthy. I've said this for, for many years. And the the notion that um, the government giving out bad advice constantly from just the worst sources is mind-boggling. I don't know where they find these experts. People in the fitness industry, in the um, nutrition world, are ripping their hairs out whenever they come up with these guidelines and these advice and it's madness and now this this just tops off for me because it's just like the 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 media um message that they gave out in the 1980s was you know cut back on dairy cut back on dietary fat because it's bad for us it causes heart disease it causes causes high blood pressure when in fact it does if you go crazy on this shit and if you eat a poor diet in combination with that. But it really, really doesn't if you have a good nutritional um, um, a good nutritional base and good dietary fats. You know, Trans fats are the only real fats we need to worry about. And those are the ones because we can't physically digest them. They, we can't absorb them. Um, and therefore they kind of float around in our bloodstream. They then find a place in an artery or vein or capillary, whatever it means, and they block up those passages, and that's what leads to heart attacks, or um, I've got what the word's called, where uh, a, a blood vessel explodes in the brain, what it's called. Um, but that, that's what that's what these things lead to. So trans fats are incredibly bad. They, they kill people. That's how bad they are. And trans fats are found, found in processed fast food. So this is where the confusion is. So, So for them to then say in the 80s it was bad for us, and then it kind of gives this knock-on effect to eat high-carbohydrate diets, low-protein, because obviously protein is bad for us, according to the government, because it causes kidney failure and liver um, failure, etc., which is, again, all rubbish. There's not one one case of a um, uh, someone having kidney failure due to protein, a high-protein diet. There's not one documented source. That is fact. So, again, so the government's saying that high-protein diets are bad for us. Again, it's false. They're good for us. They were saying that the high-fat uh, high diets are bad for us. Again, that's false. It's actually very good for us if it's the right fats. And this is where the education needs to come in. The government needs to educate the nation. They have this, they, they have this um, obligation to do so, but they choose not to. And I'm convinced it's because they just get so much tax money from... The likes of McDonald's, KFC, Cadbury's, Coca-Cola. The, the the tax revenue off those companies to sell in this country is astronomical. I haven't been able to source a, a an exact figure yet, but it far outweighs what our NHS bill is. And therefore, you know, NHS cuts to reduce that offset. Again, again, this, this is my conspiracy theory. I'm convinced it's the, the government's best interest not to... Give a shit about this information. Why would they? Because if they don't give a shit, people get confused, they lack education, therefore they eat what they want to, what they feel like they... what their taste buds want, what they crave, what they urge, and therefore we, we get this issue with, you know, people with poor diets, um, gaining weight to the point of obesity, to the point of diabetes, to the point of... Um, immobilization to the point of you know death and the government like yeah whatever coca-cola just paid me four billion pounds in tax last year so anyway that's <laughs> that's my conspiracy theory it's not necessarily fact but is it is, I, it's pretty compelling actually um however you know let's go back to the main point the the idea of dietary fat uh, being bad for us is is, is absurd you know, the, 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 our body and our hormones and our metabolism thrives off dietary fat. It's uh, it's it's vital for our, for our body. Um, here's an interesting way to think about it. 
we all know what essential proteins are. You know, proteins are essential to our body. They're, they're called proteins are, are made up of uh, amino acids, and um, they're, they're, there are some amino acids which are essential. They're called essential amino acids, EAAs, um, and they're called essential because our body would literally fall apart without them. We would die if we didn't consume these essential amino acids. Um, that, that, that's how serious it is. If we went, you know, six months a year without essential amino acids, we would be in serious danger of death. We also have what's called essential fatty acids. Um, and they're called essential because we need them to survive. It's that serious. And again, if we went a prolonged period of time without them, our bodies would fall, da fall down, fall apart. We would die. It's that serious. Now, can someone, anyone name me an essential carbohydrate? there isn't one. Carbohydrates are not essential. The body does not need them to survive. They're very helpful in the right times and the right sources. Don't get me wrong. They're very, very good. However, they are massively overused as a nation. Now, when you combine a poor carbohydrate consumption with high processed fats in our diet, i.e. takeaways and junk food and the like, then we start to see huge volumes of calories. Then we start to see big surpluses. Then we see weight gain. And then we see all these um, obesity illnesses and illnesses that, that, that um, prelude obesity. So this is the issue. It's calorie content, but it's the mixture of carbohydrates and fats, which is the big issue. It's the big, big issue. Um, you, you know, you've just got to take, for example, a Cadbury, um, let's take a Krispy Kreme donut. Um, and you know, it, one of those donuts is like three, four hundred calories. It, it's some of them are eight hundred calories if they're you know they're really cream filled with chocolate sauce or uh, or whatever it may be. They're they're massively dense in calories, but it's just a small donut. People eat those as a snack. It's not going to fill you up. Huge, packed full of sugar, absolutely packed full of sugar, but also packed full of fat. Now, separate those two, and they're not an issue. You know, sugar on its own isn't necessarily an issue. If you're within your caloric intake, fat by itself is not necessarily an issue. It's not an issue if you're within your caloric intake. And assuming those fats are going to be good, healthy fats. In a Krispy Kreme, they're not good, healthy fats. They're trans fats. And a lot of bad, saturated fats. So this is where we get to the point where... And you then combine the two, and you've got this, this, this massive calorie um, nugget of food that people are eating, not filling themselves up, and then they go on to have a meal. So this is the issue that we have. So the, the, the government are messed up in their guidelines, as always. They're not hiring the right people. They're giving up bogus information. Now, what is the result of this, uh, this latest news article in the press? Think about it. What, what are the knock-on effects? The knock-on effects are simple, but quite frightening. People are now going to be saying they're going to lose faith in, faith in the government for a start. You know, how many of these articles have been corrected recently? Protein, fats, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time until they wake up and go, actually, high-carbohydrate diets are actually the, the main issue here. Um, and therefore, the, you know, when we start trouncing our bodies with carbohydrates, what is that load? What is that in, uh, impact on our pancreas, etc.? But if you then take into account what the impact is on this, we lose, faith, we lose faith in our government if we haven't lost all faith already. We lose faith in the NHS... Um, and then people then get further confused. They go, okay, so fats are good for us now. We can eat fat. So what do they go? What are, what are they what they likely to do? They likely to look at the back of a packet and go, actually, that big red label that says high in fat is actually not an issue. So I'll eat it. You know, the government said it's actually now good for us. But there's no education into splitting down what those fats are. What are the monosaturated, polysaturated? You know, where are the trans fats? What is the ratio? What's going to be inflammatory to our system? What's not going to be inflammatory to our system? What can we offset the inflammatory with other good sources, you know, omega, omega-3 fats, etc.? You know, what is the difference between omega-3, 6 and 9? It's this information that we need to teach the nation. We need to change the food labels. We need to make people more aware of macronutrients, micronutrients, and what those macronutrients are made up of, i.e. omega-3, 6, and 9, different types of fatty acids, different types of amino acids within the protein, different types of protein, for example, pork being a very poor protein source compared to, say, beef. You know, the fact that beef is actually amazingly good for us, a good saturated fats, and everyone should be eating high amounts of it. 
it does not cause kidney failure it does not cause high blood pressure it does not cause heart disease it does not cause heart attacks this is the information we should be giving out to people eggs people should be eating loads of eggs again within reason within their dietary consumption but eggs are incredibly healthy for us again there's eggs eggs do raise cholesterol but how do they raise cholesterol they raise good cholesterol Cholesterol is kind of made up of two sections, really. You could look at it as LDL and HDL. What's good for us? Do people even know what the difference is? What is LDL? What is HDL? Do people know that HDL is good cholesterol and LDL is the bad cholesterol? Or vice versa? Where's the confusion here? But eggs raise good cholesterol and therefore offset bad cholesterol. So it doesn't really matter if we have a high cholesterol as long as that high cholesterol has a ratio which is in good and bad. So it's this kind of information that we need to preach, we need to get out, and it's not difficult to learn, it really isn't. If someone with good sense and good notion can relay this information to a four-year-old, then they can teach it to anyone in the country, really. It needs to be in the curriculum, it needs to be taught at schools above English, Maths and Science. I put, uh, do, you know, do you know what, on Twitter I put up a statement um, it was a couple of uh, a couple of weeks back now, maybe a month or two back, and I put up a statement. And bearing in mind, guys, bearing in mind, Twitter, 140 characters, you can't really say much. And you know, you could put out a tweet, and it gets you get you get trolled, and you get some twats who don't really know what they're talking about, who who take what you say out of context. It's very difficult to use Twitter as a as an authoritative medium, really. Um, you kind of got to link off to articles and and, and to f further explanation of posts and blogs and whatever. But I put up there that um, if the Prime Minister was um, a nutritionist um, or a, a, a dietitian, I said nutritionist, but either is fine, um, then I truly believe that the, 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 our country would be in a better state than it is now. Because everything boils down from nutrition. Everyone's health boils down from nutrition. Everyone's motivation, um, energy levels, all boils down from nutrition. Everyone's health all boils down from nutrition so if you then take that as the baseline and then look at the other terrible um, issues that we have in this country you could probably associate it to something which derives from a poor nutritional background whether it be pure incompetence and laziness you know why are these people lazy you know is it because they're not motivated is it because they don't have the energy to get up in the morning and be asked to do their work again that boils down from nutrition you know depression some depressions, you know, can be counteracted and improved by nutrition. Anyway, I'm kind of mumbling off the subject here, but that that statement got massively taken out of context. But if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, what what are you know, what is David Cameron's background? I, off the top of my head, I don't know, but you know, there is no qualification in being a prime minister. These people have. A, a variety of skill sets don't get me wrong you know they're very knowledgeable very good at what they do to some extent but what they don't what they do lack is an actual understanding of the core principles of being human the physiology of being human and therefore what impact that has on everything else we do on a day-to-day -day basis children growing up what impact does your as a parent what impact does your lack of nutrition have on your children it's massive, it's startling, it's scary if you think about it. If you're a parent and you listen to this and you don't quite understand nutrition, that's great that you're listening to this and you're educating yourself. And I, you know, hats up to you, high five, great, awesome. Really, that's fucking awesome. But let's take let's you know, let's look at the other angle here and go, what you lack in nutrition now is reflecting on your children. And therefore that you know, we are what we observe as children. And we are what we eat to some extent. So just imagine the knock-on effect that we have. We all know really the basics of English, maths and science. And therefore we can pass that knowledge on to our children in their very, very young stages. But what's the first thing that we teach our children kind of behavioural when, they, when they're growing up? You know, if you be good, you'll get a packet of sweets or you'll get some crisps or you'll get a cake. What's the first thing that we do at birthdays? Happy birthday to you, here's a cake. We're rewarding people, we're rewarding children with sweets with cake with food and don't get me wrong i don't want to go down this road of you know you know we shouldn't be eating cake because you know cake tastes lovely i love my cake but again it's educating on how much cake you would be eating what's in the cake can you make cake out of better ingredients yes you can what are those ingredients how do they benefit you 
and kind of what's the caloric intake and the consumption of those. If we take as an adult a slice of cake and we eat a slice of cake and we go, well, do you know what? I should probably get down the gym, you know, or do some exercise because I need to burn off some calories now because that cake, slice of cake is going to be three, four, five, six hundred calories. Your child who needs a quarter of your caloric intake is also eating that cake. So imagine how much exponentially, how much more exercise they have to do to counteract that. We see the dilemma here. And then we also say, uh, like, we, we punish our children, go, right, go to your room, you're not having dinner. I mean, and finish your meal, otherwise you don't get dessert. Can you see the behavioural impact that we have with our words, with our, what, what we're doing because of our lack of nutrition as, as adults and as parents? It's very difficult for me to say this because I'm not a parent yet, but you know, I have a very good understanding of what it takes to be a parent, although not reality as yet, but, you know... At, as a parent, am I going to be saying to my kids, you need to shut up, otherwise you won't get any sweets? Probably not, if I'm honest. I don't think that's a very good baseline to be bringing children up with. It's the same with schools. They, they do it at schools, don't they? They reward children with sweets and good behaviour and bad behaviour. Um, so it's just... it's it's, it's we, There's such a massive, bigger issue here. But the fundamental here, what the government are now doing with this press release is now confusing everyone else even more and it's 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 not that uh, this is not going to help what's happening in the press this week is not going to help things oh so there's my little rant 21 minutes that should be fun so let's move on now to uh ask wheeler it's a nice little feature with a team of coaches to help you with any goal, fat loss, increased muscle, or performance related, we can help you achieve anything. DanielWheeler.co.uk And uh, we're gonna, I've got two questions here. Um, and in fact, I might have three now by the time this is, uh, I've recorded this. And so we'll come on to the, um, the big question at the end. Yeah, we've got two more questions here. Let's read these. Oh, blimey. Uh, one from Darren Addy. I haven't read this yet, so I'm just winging it. Uh, Hi, Dan. Love the podcasts. Keep up. Cheers, Darren. Uh, seen a lot of conflicting internet data on how many sets per muscle group and how many exercises per session. What's your thoughts? Great question, and it is fucking confusing. Um, my, the, so, uh, to be honest, mate, I need to ask you some more questions. Like, my question would be, what are your goals? Is it fat loss? Is it building muscle? Is it strength? Um, is it endurance? You know, I'm afraid that question asks more than it than it answers. Uh, knowing Darren, actually, he's a, he's a, um, he's actually helped me out with a few business documents, and um, which I'm very grateful for, uh, and is a keen um, contributor to, to to my Facebook posts. Uh, I know roughly that you know Darren's uh, going through um, uh, more of a, a fat loss progression period in his life, and uh, so therefore I'm going to assume. The, the the question is based on fat loss and and you know and promoting muscle gains. Um, so the so my, my the response here is don't necessarily focus on reps and sets. What we really want to focus on is time under tension. Okay, time under tension is a phrase. You can, it's also called um, MTUT or pronounced as TUT. Time under tension. Um, and I believe MTUT, MTUT stands for maximal time under tension. Um, it, it's a term used for measuring the time in which your muscle, your muscles are working, how long they are under tension for. So let's take you, you a dumbbell curl, for example. You've got a dumbbell in your hand, and you're you, you're hanging your arm at full extension. So the dumbbells near near your knees. Um, so your bicep there is under tension. Okay, it's lengthened. Um, it's the full length of your arm. You're full extension with your with your with your arm, and your elbow is almost locked out, if you like. So your bicep there is under tension. You're having to hold a weight. So there is a tension, although it's minor. There's still a tension. As you then bring bring the dumbbell up to a 90 degrees angle, 90 degree angle, that bicep is then contracting. So further tension, and then you you may do an isometric hold. You may hold the weight at 90 degrees for. A prolonged period of time, and again under further tension, and then you lower the weight down slowly, controlled, under form, um, and again under more tension. So I'm a huge fan of time under tension. You know, we're, unless we're focusing on strength, leave the ego at the door. 
we want to work our muscles. We want to make that muscle group that we're training work as hard as fucking possible. So, the, and, and uh, you know, I say this all the time on, 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 on my Twitter actually, and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a flippant um, tweet, but it, it, I get the point across. You know, and there are two reasons why people don't see progress: one, they don't eat right, or two, they train like a pussy. And it's mainly kind of targeted at guys. Training for muscle breakdown, training to build muscle and drop body fat hurts. You know, body fat largely is due to diet, calories in, calories out, but the right type of diet mainly. But you can further enhance that by increasing your metabolic rate through increasing muscle tissue, etc. Um, and, and, and changing your um, uh, body um, composition by growing muscle, stimulating muscle tissue. And to do that, we have to break muscle, we have to tear muscle fibers. We have to physically take that fiber and rip it, break it, cause it to burst almost. Um, so therefore the body repeals and it grows back bigger. It grows back thicker almost as a cell. Um, and therefore that process hurts. You're literally ripping your muscle fibers. It hurts. You get lactic acid buildup, the burn, it hurts. The pump, it hurts. Um, and we have to get over that. And so when you hit failure or when you're going into failure, the difference between seeing good progress and not so good progress is how long can you stay in failure for? How long can you stay in sheer agony almost? And you get to the point, and it was a defining switch for me, you know, about three years ago where um, I, I managed to mentally try and not block out the pain, but try and embrace the pain, the, the lactic acid burn. You kind of, you become friendly with it almost. You become almost like it's your evil twin, um, but the twin that you love. You, you kind of, you have to take yourself into that zone and knowing that getting to that zone is not where progress happens. Staying in that zone is where the progress, that is the difference between seeing progress and not. It's how, it's not, a, the, the game is not how many reps can you do, it's how many reps can you do when you're in failure. That's the, that's the difference. And you'll see a lot of guys that they just don't change because they don't push themselves. Now, when you see people train, and you'll see this with a lot of training videos that I do, or if you ever see me in the gym, I always like to train to failure. That's just how I train. That's how I, I, I like to train. Um, you'll see, and particularly with, that, with other guys who know how to train really hard, is when they're in that painful zone, their facial expression changes, they start to grunt and to, 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 to verbalize their pain. Um, and some guys keep it quiet, whatever it may be. But you will start to sweat so quickly because it is so difficult to stay in that zone. It takes so much energy, so much mental drive, so much effort to stay in that zone. You start to sweat. You start to drip. Now, how many guys have you seen or how many girls have you seen who, uh, again, go to the gym and come out after weight training? You, you know, they don't really sweat. If you're training properly, even training calves or biceps or forearms, you should be dripping in sweat by the time you finish. Your top should be physically wet because you pushed yourself. So, Darren, just to come back to your question, the, 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 the answer is not how many reps and how many sets. You know, the argument here is hypertrophy, uh, stimulating muscle growth, is traditionally around that kind of 8 to 14 rep range, you know, 10 to 12, 8 to 14, that, you know, even as far up to 20, you know, it, but but it also boils down to how fast are you doing those reps? So if you're just kind of pumping out the bicep curls, up, down, up, down, up, down, and you do 14 reps, let's say one rep takes you one second. Your time of detention there is 14 seconds if you do 14 reps. Okay? So let's say you hit failure at, you know, twelve the, the 12th rep. You manage to squeeze out two more, you know, with bad form or swinging it, whatever it may be. Whatever you have to do to stay in that zone to cause, you know, utter fatigue. If you stay in that zone for that 14 reps, that's 14 seconds of hitting and staying in failure, um, and that's 14 seconds of time of detention. Each rep is a very short time of detention, but overall in that set, that's 14 seconds. Now, if you then take it down a step and then go, right, let's do one rep, but it's two seconds long, and we're going to do seven of them, that's still time of detention of 14 seconds. However, doing those seven reps at two seconds each is very is a lot harder than doing 14 at one second. You'll also have to use a lighter weight. 
Now, this is where we remove the ego because it's not necessarily about the weight. It's how long that time is under tension. And as you progress through your training career, you'll start to be able to increase the weight because then you can still control the reps, still control the tempo, still control the time under tension, but you need more weight in order to get deeper into that fatigue zone. So, Darren, let's answer your question. How many reps, how many sets? Traditionally, you know, hypertrophy, you're looking somewhere around that 8 to 14, 8 to 16 rep range um, with a moderate weight. Uh, and I highly recommend, you know, most reps or most muscle groups, you know, it should be more than two seconds long. You know, you should be looking at at least a muscle, uh, at least a second eccentric, at least a second hold, and at least a second contraction. So you're looking at at least three seconds, really. Now, if you take that down to what is three seconds, most people will go one, two, three. No, that's wrong. That's only two seconds. Three seconds is zero, one, two, three. That's one rep. So let's take it. Let, let, how long does that take? So let's do 10 reps. <laughs> zero, one, two, three, one. Zero, one, two, three, two. Zero, one, two, three, three. Zero, one, two, three, four. Can you see my point here? So this is the, this is the difference between counting properly, time under tension, and seeing progress. Because if you do 10 to 12 reps with a three-second tempo, with a moderate rate weight, you'll be surprised how difficult that is. It's 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 surprising. You know, um, yesterday I put a, a tweet up about um, a Facebook post up about it was, it was more of a funny post. Um, about people dropping the weights, you know, you should never drop your weights, it's childish, it's immature, you know, you're just trying to draw attention to yourself. However, if you put the weights down with slight force so people notice that you're throwing around the 50s, that's quite acceptable, and it was a joke. Um, but the point here, you know, I was, I was benching 50 kilograms yesterday, but there was no time with tension, I was just throwing the weights around, literally pumping them off my chest. You know, that, that was no time with attention. But I then dropped it down to the 22 kilos, and did 12 reps with a 414 tempo now let's take that let's break that down four second eccentric one second pause and a four second contraction so that's zero one two three four hold zero one two three four contract so that's a nine second contraction i was actually pausing at the top for two so that's an 11 second rep and do 10 of them that's 110 seconds you're under tension that's almost two minutes of a set. That's the difference. But but again, that's only 22 kilos, 24 kilos of dumbbells. They're, they're, they're quite light weights considering, you know, you can rep around, you can rep around the 50s, but, but a proper set, you're only really doing 22, 24 kilos. And if you're doing time and attention with flies, you know, I probably won't be going above 12 if I'm doing time and attention correctly, which is most often. So, so I hope... <laughs> sorry, Darren, I think that was a bit more detail than you were expecting, but... Um, hopefully it's answered, answered your answered your Confused about which diet is right for you? Let us take all the stress away and design you a fully bespoke life-changing plan. All we do is change lives. DanielWheeler.co.uk Now, Rodney, man, I'm afraid I'm not going to get a chance to your question, man, because I really want to answer this other one. So I'll get back to you next week. Uh, Rodney's basically asking about morning training and a fasted state weight training. But I really, um, I'll come on to that next week, buddy, or next time. Um... So, um, um, let's get on to Matt Sudgens. Okay, um, loving the uh, the question is, loving the new podcast, I'm looking forward to the next installment. I really enjoyed your last podcast with Darren and I have a question for your next one. I started a weight loss journey just over two months ago and I have a lot of weight to lose. What would be yours and Darren's top three tips for someone looking to lose 50 plus kilograms? Now, unfortunately, Darren's not here. And uh, next podcast with him, I'll get his views on this question as well. Um, but here, here, here are my tips, man. I'm going to give you more than the top three. I'm going to give you more than three tips here because um, I'm actually going to take you through um, what I would have done differently if I knew what I knew now when I lost my 50 kilos. Okay. So for those who don't know, I went from 22.6 kilos down to 92 kilos. Um, and sorry, 22.6 pound uh, stone down to uh, which is 146 kilos. And I went down to 92 kilos. So I lost over 50 stone. Um, and it was, you know, it was that, that was my transformation. And then since I've been building up, I'm up to 114 kilos now, um, which has taken me, you know, three years to do. Um, and 
But at the time, and it's well documented, I've mentioned this many times. You know, I, I did things, I did things wrong. Um, you know, when I when I first started out, you know, nutrition wasn't my thing. I know a bit about exercise, but it wasn't, you know, but I, I wasn't a PT at that point or a coach or anything. And uh, so, so for the first year, I stumbled through it and I made lots and lots of mistakes. But if I knew what I knew now, and what I do with a lot of my clients who have, you know, a large amount of weight to lose, here's what I would do, mate. First of all, tip number one is step back and analyze your journey, okay? Now, you, you have to put it into perspective. How long is this gonna take you? Now, put it into, put into perspective, it took me two years. And for the first year, I stumbled through it, but in the first year, I was still losing weight. Um, so, if I had to lose 50 kilos now, you're kind of looking at a solid one kilo a week would be good, healthy fat loss. So if you had 50 kilos, you're looking at a year, mate. Um, and to be honest, you can't just drop weight for a year healthily. You've got to do peaks and troughs. You kind of got to go through you know, 20 weeks maybe of looking at fat loss. Then you've got to start bringing up your metabolism, give metabolism strength, and then bring it back down again. Okay, so dieting is about caloric deficit. You've got to be in, you've got to be eating less calories than you need, and therefore the body will turn to body fat as a, as an energy source. Um, and as a result, we have to um, bring our metabolism. We have to slow our metabolism down, and it becomes a uh, an ever fighting struggle because as our metabolism slows down because we're not eating enough, and our body adjusts and downregulates things, we then have to drop our calories in further and further and further, do more and more and more. To keep seeing that weight loss. Now, a good coach, and what I would do with a lot, a lot of my clients, will structure your your fat loss strategy, your plan, if you like, so that we have a fat loss phase where we bring calories down, we bring work um, work output, exercise up, and then we get to the point where we don't want to bring them down too low that it's unhealthy. And then what we do is we then look to focus to bring calories back up, bring that metabolism back up. Um, to the point where it's a nice high metabolism. You're consuming a lot of calories and not necessarily losing huge amounts of weight. You're still losing weight maybe, um, but you're, the, pro, the primary focus for that six to eight week period is to increase that metabolism again. And then what we do is we then start to ramp things down again over time, slowly, progressively. And uh, again, you would then focus on another fat loss phase. And uh, so the biggest the, the biggest mistake I had was I had a I had a serious hormone crash after three years of of, of dieting. So I I went off the back of I lost fifty kilos in two years. I then went into a like a photo shoot diet, and so not only did I then do you know almost two years of decreasing my calories to the point where my metabolism was so slow, I then went into a photo shoot prep, which then crashed even further, and then I had some serious health issues I had to deal with. And I've, I've then documented this as well. So that is not the way to do it. And I've, I, you know, I learned the hard way. And uh, thankfully, I can now um, uh, pass that wisdom on and experience with, with my clients. Do um, my added knowledge as well is we then do it in phases. So you then, you then, fifty kilos, mate. You're looking at about eighteen months, realistically, to do it healthy. Um, and then if you do it too quickly, you're looking at you know excessive skin. Uh, saggy skin issues. Um, you, you've got to do it to the point where it's healthy, and you've got to do it at a pace where your skin can kind of look to keep up um, with the, with the retraction almost. Okay, so that would be my step one: is analyze your journey, realize that this is not going to happen tomorrow, realize it's not going to happen in six weeks, in six months, in a year. It's going to take a long time. However, let's look at another bigger picture. It may, although 50 kilos is going to take you know, a year to lose, the first 25 of those kilos you could get rid of easily in, in, in 25 weeks, in, in six months, quite comfortably. And the, let's get to the point, you know, after you've lost half of that weight you want to lose, you're starting to look awesome, you're starting to feel great, you're starting to look so much better than you had before, and therefore the journey doesn't appear as big, okay? So really focus on that, because once, I, you know, I, out of the 50 kilos I lost, the eight stone, well, after I lost four, I started to feel great. I started to look fantastic in clothes, in my opinion. You know, I started, my confidence came up, you know, I just felt a new vibrant um, uh, source for life. So at that point, I actually didn't realise kind of how much more weight I had to lose. Now I know it was 50, just over 50 kilos. But at the time, I was like, is it 50 kilos or maybe, you know, maybe it's only five stone I need to lose. But again, I went down from, you know, 22 and a half stone, 146 kilos down to photo shoot condition. 
which is you know, very extreme and you know, not everyone wants to do that. So focus on the bigger picture, be realistic and understand it's going to take some time. However, it's not as lo it's not going to feel as long as it may seem because after, you know, after 6 months you're going to be seeing some drastic huge changes. Um, my next bit of advice would be get a support group, friends and family. You will lose a lot of friends in this period. I'm telling you, I'm, it's just unfortunate. No one I know who's done transformation has kept every single friend. The, 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 the sad reality is a lot of the friends that we have are friends for us for a reason. And one of those reasons is just because we make them feel better about themselves because they think, because they um, they ex internally reflect on their emotions or, or about us on themselves, if you like. Um, they feel better knowing that they have a fat friend, if you like. I'm not saying everyone's going to be like this, you know, by all means, I've, you know, I've got loads of friends which I've kept throughout my journey, but unfortunately I've lost, you know, at least 10, 15 friends, close friends, um, purely because, you know, their, 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 their views on you change as you go through this, this, this journey. You know, there are going to be nights where you don't go out clubbing, there are going to be nights where you don't drink, you don't go out to the takeaway because, you know, you don't really necessarily trust, trust yourself or you just want to stay on track. You know, your goals are more important than socialising at that time in your journey. You need to be selfish with your journey. You need to understand that you are unhealthy. You are unfit. You need to change your life. And that comes at a cost. You know, you've got to forego these social events to some extent for a period of time um, in order for you to stay on track. I know in the early days, if I'd gone out to a curry every Friday night, there's no way I'd be in the position I am now. I had to give that stuff up, and as a result, your friends resent you for it. They think you're a different person. They think you're changing, when reality is, it's them that's changing because they're not supporting you. They're not really fully appreciating what you're having to go through. And it is a difficult time. So that would be, um, that would be my next bit of advice. Get a support group. Understand who your true, true friends are. Um, and how they can um, uh, and, and, and lean on them and really get support from them. Uh, my next bit of advice would be um, weight train over cardio. Now, it's going to be a bit of a strange one, this one, because cardio has its benefit. Cardio is great for burning calories. It's really, really not good for your metabolism over a long time. Um, there's actually data to suggest that it, it, it aids in decreasing your metabolism over time um, so if you think you know you we want to be in a caloric deficit we allow our diet to do that hard work and we use resistance training to stimulate muscle growth to increase our metabolism metabolism through our metabolic rate because more muscle means higher metabolic rate so the idea ideally is to stimulate as much muscle growth as possible because in the long term that's going to help build our metabolism better and it's about metabolic health. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Some cardio is going to be good. Some cardio, you know, cardiovascular um, health, you know, is very important. You know, feeling, you know, going for a good, you know, half hour bike ride or um, a half hour cross train or a half hour swim, bike ride, whatever it may be, is or row. It, it, you feel great after you get a great endorphin release. But we shouldn't be focusing on our exercise and cardio. So I may, a few clients at the moment I have who are very, very overweight, I would suggest, I have suggested to do maybe two light cardio sessions a week, depending on who the person is. One of them I've got doing three, um, that's just because they've got injuries and they're, they're unable to, um, to weight train at the moment. But as soon as they are back into um, full health, then what we'll do is we'll reduce the cardio and then look to do more resistance training. So don't focus on cardio. Cardio will give you a short-term um, quick fix but it will slow down your long term progression and it's the bigger picture we want to focus on remember so the diet you can lose one kilo a week you don't need cardio to be doing all that however you then also have to take into account because you're large you have a lot of weight to, lo to, 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 to lose your strength is going to be great you know, you're not going to be used to weight training and therefore you need to find a coach, you need to find a personal trainer who is who specialises with training uh, large people, people who don't have that background. Because there is there is a skill to it, there is a knack to it. You know, I see some dreadful PTs in the gym I train um, getting large women to squat. That's the last thing we should be doing. You know, big compound lifts like that, 
with weight bearing lifts, we shouldn't be getting people to squat who have never squatted before, who have very poor range of movement, poor flexibility, um, who have a poor strength background. Um, you know, we should be doing body weight stuff, really. Um, anyway, that's a, uh, another another rant for another time. Um, tip number four. Tip number four would be um, get get some sources of motivation which you can see every day. So I had two, three sources of motivation I refer to daily. Uh, one of which was um, uh, an idol, a fitness idol of mine, which was Greg Plitt. Rest in peace. Um, and you know, I, I would literally go on his website daily, um, uh, photos, videos, um, workout videos, t- as a source of extrinsic motivation, as a source of something to motivate me to get in the mood to go to the gym. Um, I then also had a pair of jeans, uh, which were size 46 inch waist, I think, 48 inch waist. Uh, I still have them today, and they're in my um, uh, in my office. And uh, every now and then I remind myself just how far I've come. But at the time I used them to remind myself just how big I was. So that every day from that point, as I was getting smaller, those jeans would feel slightly looser each time. And therefore I knew that was a source of motivation for me. If they felt looser, I was progressing. Um, and the other source of motivation for me, um, for me personally, was music. You know, I was a big, big Eminem fan. Uh, still am and a lot of his tracks you can resonate to a journey of uh, a progression of some kind and so I would listen to that daily as well so I would recommend finding three sources two or three sources of motivation you can physically see hear or listen to on a daily basis to keep on to keep your progression going even if it's a case of getting a poster of um, uh, I literally had a poster of Greg Plitt on my wall um, so I could literally see every day because at the time that was the physique I was aiming for. Um, although now it's, it's my goals and motivations are very, very different. At that time in my life and that journey, that was my goal. That was my my aim, my motivation, my aspiration. So I would literally sit every day, remind myself daily why I'm doing this. Because you are going to go through, this brings me on to tip number five, is be patient because you are going to go through highs and lows that you've never felt before. You're going to go through depression. You're going to go through euphoria. You're going to go, you're going to Wake up in days and you just can't be bothered. You're going to go through days where you feel like you can take on the world. You're because you're going through this physical and mental journey. Your hormones are going to be up and down all over the place, just due to the fact that you're having to adapt to this 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 change. Now, a good solid nutritional back um, foundation can help stabilize and um, normalize, if you like. Uh, those ups and downs, uh, but that's gonna—they are gonna have a big impact into your emotional state. Um, and then this brings me on to tip number eight: um, find out what your emotional triggers are. Now, every obese person on this planet—this is my theory—and I haven't found anything to disprove this yet. Um, every single obese person or someone who's largely overweight has a reason why they're overweight, and it's not down to food. Food is the food is the cause. It's not sorry. Food is the um, mechanism which um, we turn to, uh, to 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 cause us to be obese, but it's not the reason. Okay, um, we turn to food for an emotional reason, an emotional connection. It's something that we um, can relate to. It's something that temporarily makes us feel good. It's something that we constantly eat, and it's therefore difficult to separate that emotional relationship with food. Now you need to find out why you turn to food as your coping mechanism. What is it which got you to a depressive state? It wasn't food to begin with. Food is just what you turn to. And therefore, the confusion and nutrition and lack of um, exercise then spiralled down to the point where we saw massive weight gain. I was the same. I know what my emotional triggers were or are now. And I therefore have coping mechanisms to put them into place. So, you know, I um, reduce their impact on me on a daily basis. But at, the, at this point, and what a lot of people don't realise is um, when they go into a journey like this, they don't understand what the emotional impact is going to be or the root causes of why they were in that state. You need to identify what that root cause is. Seek other help. Psychologist, psychiatrist, if, you, if it's extreme. Um, and speak to someone about it. Because going through this journey is going to be hard. It's going to be emotionally very, very difficult. 
You need that support network from your friends and you need professional help as well. There's a reason we turn to food. What is that reason? Bringing on to tip number nine. Don't worry about binging. You are going to fall off the wagon. You are going to relapse. You are going to have a day where you overeat. It is going to happen. Face it. Become friends with it almost. Understand that it's going to happen. Do your best not to let it happen. But when it does happen, move on, put it in the background, carry on with how you were doing it. I can't begin to explain the number of times I, I fell off the wagon when I was um, going through my journey. Um, at a point, it was almost weekly. I'd be good from Monday to Saturday. Saturday night, I would come out and go out with my friends, kebab, booze, Sunday, or then overeat. That, that happened very regularly for about three or four months from memory. Um, and, you know, and it, it will happen. You will go through a period of time, through this journey, where you've made such progression, you're kind of happy, become complacent with it, and therefore you, you start to almost self-sabotage, almost kind of try to undo it. Try and not let that happen. Understand that it's going to happen. Put, play, put things in place to prevent it from happening. And again, you know, a good coach and support network will, 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 will do that for you. And what is my tip number 10? Let's do 10 tips. Let's round it up. Uh, educate yourself on nutrition. This is going to be your, your, your biggest weapon. Um, I got to the point where I educated myself on nutrition so much I became passionate about it and took my studies on it. Um, you may not necessarily get to that point, but understanding nutrition will vastly help your progression because you can then start to understand how different foods affect you what different foods do what, um, how different foods can help your training, your recovery, um, the difference between you know, high-carb diet, low-carb diet, and carb cycling, uh, as opposed to keto, as opposed to backloading. All these mechanisms will help you in a way, at some point in your progression, that other um, eating strategies won't. And again, a good coach can help you through that, but take it on your own, um, your own merit to proactively educate yourself because it will dramatically help i hope that helps buddy i hope that's helped and that's given you enough um enough information to help i hope that was uh detailed enough and uh and if you have any questions on it please drop us a facebook or a tweet or something or even you've got my email address drop us an email um i'll do my best to to reply further and i think that wraps up today's podcast i think that sums it up um, contact me on Twitter guys at Dan Wheeler uh, the website danielwheeler.co.uk or Life Changing Fitness which is our Facebook and uh, if you're looking for um, uh, to be coached by myself or a member of the team uh, Darren, Larry or Lee or even Chris um, drop us a note and get in contact and we can make that happen for you cheers guys peace out Welcome to the Life-Changing Fitness Podcast. All we do is change lives.